Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is Happy Monday. What is up, podcast fam? Hope you all had an amazing, amazing weekend. You know the deal, so let's jump right into it. Today, my guest is the one and only Jewel the Bee. Jewel the Bee is best known for her on-camera antics on Instagram, mixing humor and straight talk in all things cooking, marriage, motherhood, and advice. If you have not yet checked out her Instagram, it is a must. You will literally be laughing out loud rolling on the floor, amazing, amazing, authentic content. Jewel's website is jewelthebee.com, and it serves as a landing page for all her recipes, as well as an advice column called Ask the Bee. Even those who usually hate to cook, watch, read, and then surprise themselves by making her recipes for their own family. Jules makes cooking accessible, funny, and sexy. Her stories and advice are personal, emotional, and deliciously descriptive, bringing the reader into her childhood, her marriage, and her memories. Every week, women of all ages write into Ask the Bee, looking for advice on everything from dating and quarantine to breakups, friendships, advice on motherhood, and so much more. Jewel's hard-hitting advice, served up with a side of humor, has her readers locked in and laser-focused. Jewel the Bee lives, writes, and dances in her kitchen, tucked away in the woods of Westchester with her husband, Baz, their two sons, and one very, very, very spoiled dog named Norman. Before we jump into this episode, please take a moment and share this episode with a friend. Jewel's story is amazing. This podcast, this episode is awesome. And before we jump into it, please take a moment to share this episode with a friend. Jewel the Bee is awesome. She is hilarious, and her story is absolutely incredible, inspiring, uplifting. So please do me a favor, share it with a friend, subscribe to Bits of Gold, and tag us on your Instagram story if you find this episode valuable and helpful and inspiring. With that being said, enjoy this episode with the one, the only, Jewel the Bee. Jewel the Bee, so happy to have you on the show. So happy to be here, Danny. Thanks for having me. I told my sisters ahead of time that you were coming on today. And I said, do you, do you have any questions you want me to ask? And they basically just wanted me to express how much they're obsessed with you and love <laughs> you, etc. So they're leaving all the questions to me. <laughs> I love that your sisters are obsessed with me. When you and I first spoke, I actually DM'd one of them, teasing her that I had just gotten off the phone with her brother, and she was very happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she came, she came home, and I think she said like, "My life's complete." Um, something, something to that. To no, that her degree. husband. That's very sad. <laughs> so she's like, "This is literally the best thing that's ever happened to me." So Aww. we had a good laugh. I'm sure she'll be a. Uh, <laughs> Super jealous that I get to spend 
the next hour with you. Well, that's very kind. <laughs> so to kick off this episode, I know I gave you a little bit of premise when we spoke the first time around. What inspired me to start my show, Bits of Gold? And just to sort of recap for any new listeners that are tuning in, my show is all about building your dream life. The reason why that's so important to me is because I learned through a series of unfortunate events and losing both my parents by age 25 that each day is a gift and not a guarantee. And through that experience, I really believe that it's our, our duty as individuals to build our dream life, whatever that is, to that individual. And with that, I was really inspired by your story, really intrigued by your journey and wanted to share it with our audience because I think you're a great example of someone who's doing that and really excited to have you on the show to share your story. Thank you so much. Your story for sure is incredibly inspiring. I think what you're doing is so amazing. It's such a a positive spin on really what could have been an opportunity to just wallow in grief and self-pity. And I think it's just amazing that you've turned this around and that you're having conversations with people that you find inspiring. I'm beyond flattered that you find me inspiring. And thank you so much for having me. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really, really excited to have you on for the next hour and (laughs) to talk about all, all the fun things. So normally I like to sort of take these back and maybe for anyone that doesn't know, you could just share a little bit about your platform today, and then we could take it back to the beginning, wherever we want to start that off with with your story. Okay. It always amazes me that I even have a platform that's so sort of ridiculous to me. But I started an Instagram account, you know, I don't know, about two years ago, just like, you know, any any other Instagram account sort of starts or mine started in a very ordinary, boring sort of way. And it has sort of taken off into this little mini, it's been described as a mini reality show. Um, It's been described as a midlife crisis (laughs) sort of (laughs) unraveling on camera. I am a chef by education, not by profession, but I do a lot of cooking on camera. I was a celebrity personal assistant for about 15 years and then became a mommy and sort of continued to dabble in the world of celebrity personal assistant dumb for, you know, about another two years. And then I decided to focus on being a mom full time and figured out somewhere along the way that if you are not having fun and laughing your ass off, it's all just going to be incredibly exhausting. Mm. And I try to, I guess, share that as much as possible without it feeling very intentional. Yeah, absolutely. I think on your Instagram, it's very entertaining, very funny, and you're very engaged in all the content that you're posting. Well, thank you. (laughs) Let's take it back to, I guess, college. So I read that you, you went to University of Maryland. I did, indeed. I was a Terp. My fiance was was as well. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I don't want to know how old she is, Danny. I got, <laughs> I got a sinking feeling <laughs> that I would not have known her. No, I, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> when you were there, did you already have a passion for cooking? And was that something that you had a passion about growing up? Or how did your passion for cooking come about? So my passion for cooking 
I was always, you know, peripherally interested in it. Right after my freshman year at Maryland, I met, I was fixed up with, you know, the, the person that became a very serious boyfriend and then fiance and, and then actually my first husband. And I became very close with his family and his mom is Norman Stop. I'm sorry, we've got a golden cavadoodle here who wants <laughs> a tremendous amount of attention at all times. His mother is a phenomenal cook. And I wasn't really taking advantage of the social scene at Maryland, given that I had this, you know, very serious long distance boyfriend. And my girlfriends would go out at night. I would go out maybe for a little while and then I'd head back to our apartment and I'd start to cook. And I would cook, you know, sort of a la Andrea, my boyfriend's mother. And that's sort of how it began. And my girl, you know, they, everybody would spill in from the VU or Santa Fe at like 2 a.m. And I would have a feast waiting. That was my passion and, and sort of pleasure. Mm. That's how it started. I did later go on to culinary school and graduate as a chef, but I never really wanted to be in a kitchen on New Year's Eve. I always wanted to be the one holding the glass of champagne and not cooking in a hot kitchen. I didn't figure that out until I graduated. <laughs> Got it. When you went into culinary school, yeah. were you thinking, so you figured that out after when you finished and graduated from graduate, from uh, culinary school, yep. then you realize, I don't want to be stuck in a kitchen yeah. at 11.30 at night. Terrible, practical joke on, you know, on my poor father who had, you know, very graciously put me through uh, nine, you know, nine months at the French Culinary Institute only to discover, you know, that his daughter really didn't want to do that in fact after all. <laughs> but it was one of the best decisions that I ever made and it was probably the single best decision that I made in terms of, you know, an educational experience. I think mm. in some ways even more important than, you know, than going off to college. I know nothing about culinary school. I love food, so does my fiance. Yeah. Like I imagine when you go to culinary school when you leave your cooking skills is on another level. Is that the case? It is, but that other level is also really rusty because that's not really how you tend to cook in real life. You know, I did for a long time or for a period of time after I graduated whip out all the very fancy, beautifully plated, artistically, you know, off the charts sort of, you know, excuses to, to impress my friends. But, you know, that fades and there's a place for delicious, messy, you know, warm bolognese. And that generally has more of a place in my kitchen than Dover Soul. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. So my fiance, actually, I'm just like, pretty intrigued. So yeah. my fiance and I, we're both very passionate about eating. I mean, who who isn't? Right, right. Like we love going you know what, to Danny, there's a lot of people who are not. <laughs> And I those know, are always, not my people. I agree. That's why I'm like, who isn't? We're going away actually tomorrow on a little surprise trip. And like, I'm planning the trip around the best oh. restaurants in that area and the best food to eat in that location. That's how I plan. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny because she's very passionate about cooking and is always like, hmm, I think I want a career change. I want to go into something in the food space, but yeah. I also don't want to be stuck in a, stuck in a kitchen working 1130 at night or New Year's Eve, etc. So I guess it's something that people really need a way if they're exploring anything in the in like the restaurant industry. 
I will never forget, I was having dinner one night on, I want to say it was like Central Park South. I don't even, I don't remember the name of the restaurant. It was a a well-known French bistro. And I was having dinner one night with my grandmother. And at this point in time, I, I was newly graduated from Maryland. I was, you know, relatively miserable in my just out of school, you know, new job, very much sort of clocking in and clocking out and zero passion. And I remember my grandmother who frequented this restaurant often pulled maybe, I don't, I don't know if it was the chef who came out of the kitchen or the maitre d', but somebody came over to our table and my grandmother said to him, you know, this is my granddaughter, Julianne. She wants to go to culinary school. She wants to be a chef. And, you know, look, the the restaurant world is very much less so now, but certainly at the time that I was starting to think about dipping my big toe in the water, it was a very sexist game. There were very few chefs, women chefs in the kitchen and, you know, very old school French and notoriously sexist. And I will never forget him looking at me. I was probably, you know, 21 years old and him saying, no, 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 no. You go home and, and, you know, you find a husband and and make babies and no, 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 no. And I remember thinking, am I allowed to curse? Yeah, of course. Fucking watch me. Like, I'm going to fucking do this. You know, you French arrogant fuck and (laughs) fucking watch me. And that's sort of who I am. And that's, you know, a blessing and a curse. Not that that's why I went to... To culinary school, and I'm happy to talk to your fiance, but you don't have to go to culinary school to be passionate about food or to do something with food. And I by no means regret my decision to go. Again, it was probably the single best decision that I've ever made in a lot of ways, but you don't have to go down that road. Mm-hmm. Where do you think that spirit comes from that you have deep within I you? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's like the Southern in me, or if it's the New Jersey in me, I, you know, my mother was a spirited, you know, little spitfire. I probably take it to the next two or three <laughs> levels, but yeah, it's in me. It is definitely in me. If I could apply it to weight loss, I'd be golden. <laughs> well, you sound very competitive. <laughs> I'm, re- I'm actually not, but I'm, I'm stubborn. I'm not that competitive. But I am stubborn and and you're not going to, you know, you're not going to tell me no sort of thing. Mm. I'm going to find a way. Yeah. I always found, find it funny when people, I've had the experience myself, like when you meet someone who's in an industry, in an industry and you just want to explore yourself and they'll tell you like, oh, this isn't a business you want to be in. I've always found that like mind your own fucking business. Right. Let me, let me figure that out on my own. What I want to do. Exactly. Yeah. They're like Hi. crushing, they're crushing the, your idea of just like wanting to explore something not even yeah. necessarily it be your dream but just like explore it as as a potential route that you may or may not take right but jumping into i mean first of all culinary school is exorbitantly expensive it is another college education and i was very lucky you know that i was able to do that and really like at the time i didn't give it you know i really didn't give a thought about it now i'm like my goodness you know my parents were very <laughs> generous mm. um, it's exorbitantly expensive and it is a massive commitment, a massive commitment, you know, of time and and dedication. And I think that's why I loved it so much. It really taught me a tremendous amount of discipline, which now I apply to other areas. Yeah. Specifically in culinary school, I guess, what would you say is like the single biggest lesson that you took away? Wow. 
The single biggest lesson that I took away. That's such a good question. And I, I, I need to like, think about that tonight at 2 AM. <laughs> Maybe, I mean, this is sort of sad, but you know, I got fucked over in my final exam during culinary school. Our, our chef at the time who was like, you know, you have like a rotation mm. of master chefs. And I don't know if this is a lesson learned, by the way, but it's a, it's a story I'll yeah, tell perfect. if that's okay. I'll do a story that I'll I'm not exactly sure where the lesson is. Other than don't cheat the way that I tried to cheat maybe. But in any case, our final master chef in this final rotation of culinary school, you know, you're like, you're at the finish line and really all that's left is this final exam, which by the way, part of it is written. Part of it is your your project that you're doing at home, this menu that you create and you're cooking each dif- dish and there's got to be a theme, et cetera, et cetera. But the scariest part is you are cooking live during your final exam for a panel of world-renowned okay. chefs. So on my panel was Bobby Flay, Andre Soltner, Jacques Papin. Like you're not fooling anybody on this panel. This is not, you know... I don't know, Francois, who they just pulled in from some local bistro. You're like, you're (laughs) fucked if you don't know what you're doing. And so in my final rotation before this exam, Chef Robert, who was one of my favorite master chefs, pulled me aside and said, I think this was like a Friday and we had the weekend, you know, to prepare. And then you came back for your final. And he knew that I was a wreck. And he pulled me aside and he said, kid, you're going to be great. Don't worry about it. And this is what's, you know, this is what is going to be your live portion. He basically, you know, said, here it is. I'm handing this to Mm. you ahead of time. This is what you need to prepare for. And so I studied for my written and I had done, you know, I did a kick-ass job with my, you know, my at-home project. And I didn't really review anything for my live, you know, cooking demo because, Master Chef Robert had told me I would be cooking X. And I get into that kitchen and it is not X. And he looks at me from across the room, like knowing that he has (laughs) fucked with me. And he basically gave me a wink. And there I am in front of my stainless steel roll away cart with, you know, seven ingredients on the cart for a recipe that. I haven't studied. I don't have it memorized. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And I absolutely dissolve. I cave, I crumple. I, it was like the ugliest cry I think I've ever had in a public space. I have never felt so betrayed in my entire life. And then I hit it out of the fucking park. I don't know how I did it. I don't know how I pulled that salmon croquette out of my ass. But not only did I hit it out of the park, Andre Soltner spoke about my salmon croquette. (laughs) So I don't know what the lesson is, except that I think at the end of the day, you rely on you. The, The whole idea of being in culinary school, it's very much a team effort. It's like a ballet in the kitchen. And if one person fucks up, the front of the house the you know the customers pay for that and everybody mm. feels that but at the end of the day like you yeah. got to walk in prepared 
Here is full stop in every mm. aspect of life. <laughs> I That's love that. That's my lesson. <laughs> Maybe this is where the advice <laughs> column stemmed from, Dan. Is it? <laughs> I don't know. I think, I don't know why, but I think a lot of people like asking me, what's the lesson learned here? Or what do I do in this situation? And that's sort of where mm. this advice column has kind of, you know, snowballed and grown and and the, the website has become incredible. I only recently like d- discovered you and became aware of who you are, etc. But I think from the content that I've seen you put out, I think really you're very, very genuine in your content. And I think that that's something that people really um, like cling to at least, you know, that that's, that's sort of what keeps me engaged with their content. Like I think er- anything that you're putting out on your site, your Instagram, et cetera, you know, it's a hundred percent authentic. <laughs> well, thank you. I hope so. That's certainly the angle that I'm trying, you know, to come from. Mm, absolutely. So a- after finishing culinary school, you decide, okay, I don't want to be in a kitchen late night. What comes next? What came next was, <sighs> pivoting, just constantly like pivoting and not being afraid to say, okay, um, you know, I did this. I loved it. I catered for a little while. I hated it. And I'm, you know, I don't know at the time, maybe now I'm 23 years old or 22 years old. I don't even know. Was that frustrating? Like I imagine, so now how long is culinary school? Culinary school was for me, because I went at night so that I could work Mm. during the day. Culinary school was about nine and a half months every night from like 6 p.m. until 11 p.m. And that was like the fast track. Mm -hmm. You could go for a year, you know, if you weren't working. What was your day job? My day job, I was putting together business conferences, international business conferences Mm. at hotels. And I hated it. What did you hate most? It was boring and and I felt completely unfulfilled and I didn't give a shit about any of it. And I would show up and like do my thing. And I think somewhere probably, although I don't know that I was in touch with this at the time, but I probably was thinking mm. like, I'm better than this. I like, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. This is not how I'm supposed to, mm. I'm not shining. A lot of people probably, I mean- I think a lot of people in their 20s after school enter like the working world and they have a rude awakening where they're like, this is not what I want to be doing with my time. And they end up in a very, in a state where they're like very lost, almost like a frenzy where they have no idea what they're supposed to be doing or what they want to do. And they just realize whatever they are doing is not for them. It sounds like you had maybe a similar, like a similar experience with your first job out of school. I had a sim, a very similar experience. I'm just not the type of person, like I'll make everybody crazy around me, including my poor parents, you know, to, to figure out what it is that I do want to be doing. I don't really suffer mm. quietly. You're sort of all <laughs> going to be in, <laughs> in, you know, in and my frenzy <laughs> until I figure it out. So culinary school was a piece of figuring that out. And the truth of the matter is, is that, I never would have, I don't think, I shouldn't say never, but I don't think that I would have been a successful A-lister assistant were it not for the the very detailed work that I did in these, you know, in these conferences and setting up these conferences. 
And then in the very disciplined and detailed work of culinary school, you know, of learning that everything has its place, everything has its timing. And I was very happy as a, in my sort of celebrity personal assistant world for just about, I think it was about 13 years. I loved it. So you did that after culinary school when you realized this isn't, this isn't what I want to do? And what? Yeah. I flipped through the New York Times, (laughs) which of course nobody does anymore. When there were, you know, classifieds to flip through and there was, there was an ad, you know, assistant needed for, you know, high profile Mm. celebrity. And I was like, (laughs) that's for me. (laughs) And I talked my Mm, way in. That's so interesting. How do you interview for that? You talk your way in. So I had obviously had no experience. I mean, I had experience, but not, not in that world. So at the time, you know, this, it was through an agency. You certainly didn't call up the celebrity. So I talked my way into the agency and the agency loved me and called, you know, this woman and said, you got to meet with her. I think she's perfect. And then I bullshitted my way through, you know, the second layer of it. I didn't bullshit, but I, you know, you highlight if you're smart, you're going to highlight your your strengths. And that's, you know, I think I do an okay job of doing that. And I landed the job and was miserable and tortured for a little under a year, like devil wears Prada sort of tortured. And I got a phone call from a girlfriend of mine who is a publicist. She calls me one afternoon and said, you know, I hear that Michael Douglas needs someone. I'm not sure, but I hear that he does. And, you know, three months later, because that's how long some of this stuff takes to sort of, you know, unfold. I was sitting in Michael Douglas's Central Park West apartment, interviewing with him as Catherine Zeta-Jones walked in, in her bathrobe, fresh out of a bubble bath, <laughs> lovely with her Welsh accent. And eight years later, I left them, you know, when I was nine months pregnant with my first son. Who were you um, like an, an assistant for first, before him? My first job? Well, considering I just ex- I just <laughs> compared her to the Devil Wears Prada, I probably shouldn't say. But I will tell you this. I will tell you this. I hated her then because she made my <laughs> life so miserable. I mm. adore her now. And she was she was at our wedding and 100% is the reason why I was able to keep pivoting because she taught me you know, how to rise to every occasion that she threw at me or, you know, or Mm. else really. And I figured out how to, how to rise. What about Michael Douglas? What was the experience like working with him? Oh, I love him. I love them both. I love him. I mean, what was the experience like? It was, for the most part, it was amazing. And, you know, I was there when their daughter was born and Catherine, you know, in one of her thank you speeches at the Golden Globes, you know, mentioned me and it was a very close relationship for a long time. I did have an office, but for many years I worked right in their apartment and you see a lot and you become close and, you know, they were amazing. Amazing. Would every day be different? I'm just curious what life is like as a A-list celebrity personal assistant. Like I feel, I don't know, I have so many questions now about that specifically. <laughs> um, every day is different. There is no, 
you know, every day. And you also get a phone call at 2 a.m. saying, not necessarily from Michael and Catherine, but our jet didn't show up. Deal with it, <laughs> please. <laughs> <laughs> or this bra, I need this bra by, you know, by Saturday in four different colors. And by the way, it was discontinued, you know, two years ago. Mm. It's, you know, it's a hodgepodge. Yeah. I was never the girl who got dry cleaning. I was very fortunate that, you know, I, I did not work for C-listers. I worked for sort of, you know, cream of the crop, Academy Award winning, Golden Globe, you know, winning. I, I stepped in shit. I really did. I stepped in shit with my employees or my employers, I should say. Do you get to put any of your um, cooking skills and, and knowledge to, to, to work there or no? I did on one occasion. Uh, once. Only it once? It was, oh, I never wanted to do that. Oh my God. I never wanted to do that for them. But on one occasion, they were hosting Jane Goodall at their apartment for lunch. Like, I don't remember if the caterer didn't show up or the chef didn't show up, but Michael came into my office and was like, could you fucking help us out? <laughs> because she's here and we're ready to talk monkeys and there's no lunch. Oh my God. Do you remember? Were they like, wow, this food's great? I mean- I don't remember. No. <laughs> Probably not. I don't think it was great that day. I was, I was shitting myself that I had to, you know, to do that. So interesting. Not a happy camper. <laughs> it's funny because, I mean, you, you make it sound much simpler, but I imagine you went from a, a place, from a company that, you know, working in these conferences, events, and you're, it sounds like spiritually you're, you're miserable. You, you have no passion. Yeah. Yep. You're going to culinary school at night. And what were you like at that point mentally? Um, like, what was your mental state like? Because, mm -hmm. I mean, it's really shitty going to a job every day that you hate. How do you get through that time. I think that's why I'm not a big believer in doing that. And certainly not in your 20s. I mean, look, everybody has rent to pay. Everybody has their obligations and their responsibilities. And you have to know, you know, I don't know how deep your pockets are. And I don't know, you know, what your parents support and what they don't support, or what your financial situation is in your marriage or, you know, or any of the other stuff that, you know, only, only we know. Mm -hmm. I was not, I was not willing to settle, you know, in that time and, and space. I felt like, not like I was dying. I don't mean that, but I was so bored. I like being amused and I like being entertained and I like challenges. And I was just bored out of my gourd. <laughs> like, how do you navigate that? Were you just like, I'm just going to continue to try different things till something hits? Well, again, I think that's where, you know, you ask yourself, what am I interested in doing? And that's where, you know, that's where culinary school came in. And then from culinary school, okay, I loved that. And that was valuable, but I don't want to earn a living doing this. Mm -hmm. So let me just look through the paper. Let's see what sparks an idea. Yeah. Lo and behold, there it is. And the Sharpie is in hand and you circle, you know, the idea and you see where that takes you. I wouldn't have done it for free. Yeah, yeah, of I course. Not, you know, I was not in a position to keep pivoting, you know, but it was it was financially a really smart decision. I was in a dead end job. Well, not dead end, but I was, you know, I was it was like the rat race where I was putting together those conferences. And I was I was a, what is it? A peg in the wheel, a peg in the what is it? Yeah, I was like, like a, a yeah, 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 yeah. A peg in the wheel. 
I was, I was their little, you know, minion. I didn't want to be somebody's minion. <laughs> How did it feel when you got the job with Michael Douglas? Oh my God. It was like, I hit the lottery because I had, it had truly played out for months. You know, I, I waited for the call for months. These A-listers and these, these very talented actors and actresses, they're gypsies. Mm-hmm. They don't sit still. They're not, you know, they're on the go. That's what fuels their fire. Mm-hmm. They're not, that's what brings somebody to a movie set for months at a time, just waiting for the opportunity to just meet them in the same city. Let's not forget, there was no Zoom. There was no squad cast. There was none of this. <laughs> yeah. I waited for months for that interview. And I knew when I left the apartment, I knew that it had gone really well. I knew that it had. One last question about Michael Douglas mm-hmm. and we can move on. But um, sure. <laughs> I'm curious regarding A-list celebrities. Obviously, they're A-list celebrities because they're really great at what they do. Right. Were you surprised or was there a moment where you're like, oh, this, it make like, were you surprised that Michael Douglas's work ethic, or I'm sure you met other A-list celebrities where you're like, they're cut above the rest in terms of what they do, how they operate, all of that. I think probably what surprised or what I learned about Michael, it wasn't that it surprised me, but what I didn't know going into that interview, you know, I knew Wall Street and I knew Gordon Gecko and I knew, you know, Fatal Attraction and basic instinct. I knew sort of the Michael Douglas of of that. I knew, you know, the the A-lister on screen. And I knew that my mother had had a crush on him. You know, when I was growing up, like all of my mom's friends, you know, died over Michael Douglas. I did not know what a humanitarian he is. I did not know how wildly charitable he is. I did not know how whip smart he is. The ones that do really well from just in my, you know, sort of helicopter, you know, hovering view and and sort of what I've observed and who I've worked for surround themselves with the best and are really good in terms of business instinct. They may not know how to totally execute it. That's why you get yourself a really damn good team. But, you know, he's won Academy Awards for producing and directing. People don't realize how deep his talents go and how very smart he is and and what an incredible businessman he is. So that it, that, it didn't surprise me, but I certainly didn't know that mm. when I went up to that, you know, apartment to, to interview with him. What did your, your mom, your Friends, what do they say when you're like, oh, this is what I'm going to be doing? Oh, they died. <laughs> they died. You know, they just, and I, and I think, you know, it was a very exciting time in my life. It's exciting hearing about it. <laughs> it, it kept morphing, you know, when I, and then I stepped away, I stepped away from it to have Madden, to have my son. And, and when Madden was six months old, I got a call from Gwyneth Paltrow. Like it just, I had like, stepped in this sort of, you know, very exciting, like club. It was almost like, you know, people would say, people to this day still call me like, would you talk to my daughter about how she can get into this? I'm like, I don't fucking know how you, I (laughs) stepped in shit and it just, and I was able to keep the ball rolling for a good while. 
And then I didn't give a shit whose <laughs> private jet didn't show up. <laughs> I my babies and my own life. It sounds like though you were you were obviously very good at what you were doing because you did it for you know such an extended period of time. I like to think that I was good. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> I hope so. It is really interesting. I just think, yeah, like it's. I'm fascinated. I guess that you went from like completely miserable in your job, and even now hearing you talk about it, you could tell that there's just like an excitement behind it, and I think that's what people should thrive to build in their career, in their profession, whatever that is. And I think so. <laughs> I think so too. You know, whether again, like it doesn't have to be in your profession. I mean, there are people who are miserable in marriages mm. or just, just feeling stuck, you know, and you don't just get unstuck. It doesn't just happen on its own. You have to be willing to sort of, you know, rattle the cage a little bit. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I have I have a note on my wall over here that just says, are you happy? And Oh, I love that. And underneath it, it says have fun. But I think mm. um, it's important to ask ourselves more frequently than not, like, are you happy? Because sometimes you just get into like a flow of things. And all of a sudden, like you said, you know, you can end up feeling stuck and you start, it's, I think it's important to ask yourself, like, are you happy? And if not, to start to make the change to become happy and whatever, whatever you want to pursue. I think that that's absolutely true. And I also think that happy can be a little bit dangerous because you also have to recognize, you know, somebody said to me about two weeks ago, somebody had called me about perhaps doing some publicity for me. And she very wisely said, you know, you're on the verge of, or or you perhaps already are at a point with Jewel the Bee and Instagram and the website and the articles where it very much feels like a job. You know, mm-hmm. when I first started Instagram, it was just a fucking kick in the pants. <laughs> I just, you know, I would have a few slugs of wine and turn the camera on and I didn't think anything of it. Now... It very much feels like a job. And in recognizing that and owning that and admitting that you're creating something, I don't know exactly what it is that I'm creating. I don't know exactly, you know, what I want to happen with it Mm. exactly, but I know that I'm serious about it. I know that at some point in time, you know, it went from being a flirtation or antics on camera an opportunity to build, I'm not exactly sure what, Mm. but you know, you don't have to be happy every single day in every single moment. But yeah, if you're, you know, if there's an overall heaviness, I think it's that heaviness that you have to tap into. Mm. I love that. Do you want your platform to become a business? It's, It's just funny what you alluded to, because sometimes you start something that's complete passion and it's passion driven and you don't care let's use a podcast as an example. You don't care if one person listens or a thousand people listen, you're going to do it because it's what lights you up. It's what makes you come alive. And then once it becomes a business, sometimes you're like, eh, this isn't necessarily what I want because that with a business comes responsibility. Sometimes as you start to scale, obviously it depends on your business, but as you start to scale, most businesses, you have overhead staff, a team, et cetera. I'm curious, is is that something that like you're navigating or trying to figure out? Totally navigating it totally trying to figure it out. There is staff now and there's editorial schedules and, 
you know, calendars and money involved now. Mm. And it's, yeah, it's a different, I am not a major influencer. You know, I don't think I have an inflated view of who I am or what this is, but I'm not just doing it for giggles anymore. Yeah. It's funny how that the dynamic can change where it starts to become, I, I guess, let's call it more of a, a business, not, not a job, but a business where I guess maybe the responsibility shifts a little bit and you're like, hmm, I have like payroll. I have, like you had mentioned, a calendar, a schedule that you're sticking to an editorial team. And I guess it's funny how it can change your dynamic or relationship with something that started so much as a passion. I think that's absolutely true. And that, and it's a little bit scary. And there are days where it's not that fun, but most of the time I'm having a lot of fun. Not the past two weeks. I would say the past two weeks have actually sucked. Mm. <laughs> They've been incredibly stressful personally and professionally, but most of the time I'm really having fun. And I think that's why I keep pushing the ball forward. Mm. And I think that it speaks to people and, you know, people's feedback for me, like that completely lights me up. I am like the tap dancing, you know, jackass of a kid who, you know, everything for a show, you know, people would arrive for Passover and I would be, you know, in the evening gown handing out like playbills, like (laughs) everything, you know, so you give me a little bit of positive feedback and I'm like, really? Let me tap dance and show you what I got. We had a playbill at my Passover too. We have like puppets, we have masks. <laughs> oh, my mom was crazy with all that stuff. But uh, did you have playbills at Yom Kippur? Um, no. <laughs> uh. <laughs> You're starving? Come watch me do some jazz in the living room. I'd be like, mom, get out of here. <laughs> I actually was recently cleaning um, one of the rooms out of my house and I found like candy from several years ago. And I asked my sister, like, who was hiding candy in this room? And my sister said she would hide candy there on Yom Kippur to like sneak it. And it, this is like, it must have been there for maybe 10 years. Why must we be tortured? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely interesting. I, I mean, I think I think another good question just in general to ask yourself, not necessarily, I understand what you're saying. Are you happy? Isn't necessarily, uh, you don't always need to be necessarily happy, let's say in what you're doing for like the obvious reasons that you sort of had just mentioned, like building a business can be very stressful, but you could still really enjoy it. I think a very important question as well to just be asking yourself is like, what do I want to do with the time that I have while I'm here? Right. Whether that be a hobby, a business, a passion project, something related to fitness, eating, whatever it may be. I think that's another question that I'm trying to constantly ask myself and also sharing with like our audience to just try to like look introspectively and think think through that more. Yeah, I think I think that's incredible. And you've had life lessons that have sort of, you know, highlighted that lesson for you or pushed that lesson, you know, in front of you. And yeah, 100%, you can either, you know, pay attention to it or brush it away. But yeah, I mean, the question of every single day, you know, I wake up with the best of intentions. Mm. Today's a great day. I'm going to put my energy into this. I'm not going to focus on this. And it's up to us, you know, do we get sidetracked? Do we, you know, what sort of jerks our focus away from the positive energy, you know, suck? 
to the negative energy suck? And how are we going to spend our time? Mm. 100%. Just going back to your platform. So you have the website, obviously, and Instagram is your main, like the main medium that you're posting on. Yes. I'm not a good poster. I'm a terrible feed poster. It's all happening in stories. Yeah, yeah. I see all the stories. They're they're, they're so funny. Yeah. That's where it's all happening. (laughs) Do you do anything on TikTok? No. Heaven forbid. (laughs) What about about YouTube? my 12 year olds and even my 14 year olds like ugh, mommy no (laughs) what about youtube no no and you know and i've i have thought about youtube and every time i look into it and every time i i sort of go down the rabbit hole and and talk to people who i respect not even people who have a similar platform to mine but a similar perhaps outlook or work ethic, I keep hearing like YouTube is not what it once was. Mm. YouTube is. And I think that's why I created the website because if Instagram disappears tomorrow and it absolutely can, you know, what do you have and where is your content going? You know, my stories die out after 24 hours. It kills me because (laughs) it's my creative like life juice, but they (laughs) They die after 24 hours. And what made somebody hysterically laugh, you know, 26 hours ago isn't there for the new person who just joined in, you know, to see. Mm. But my recipes are, you know, housed on the site and the Ask the Bee is right there on the site. And you're really getting, you know, probably the best of me over there. That's probably where the most thought and the most care goes. Instagram is like a whim for me. You know, mm. I'm like a wind up jackass on Instagram and I'm good with that. There's very little thought that goes into it with the exception of, you know, am I hurting somebody's feelings? What is my responsibility in Black Lives Matter? That was a total social media shit show two weeks ago. Mm. Navigating a minefield that in a million years, I never thought I would have to navigate at 47 years old. But again, like, if you want to know my heart and if you want to know my values and if you want to know what my core is really rooted in, my heart is open on the table over at jewelthebee.com. Mm-hmm. Instagram is, you know, is my surface sort of off. Got it. People might aspire to say, how do I build something similar? How do I monetize mm-hmm. a website or Instagram? At what point did your platform, did you start thinking through your platform more through like the lens of it being a business? I think when people started sending shit to my house (laughs) (laughs) and I was opening up like a lot of packages a week and please, will you talk about, you know, our product? If you, if you like this Mm -hmm. and, or Jewel, what are you cooking with? What is that pan? What is that? People are very interested in what other people use and love. Mm. But this secret ingredient is trust. Nobody wants to hear from somebody, you know, who looks shady or looks like they have an agenda. Maybe they'll listen to you, but they're not necessarily going to go out and buy it. They're not going to say, I got this because someone shady told me to buy it or told me that they use it. People can smell bullshit a Mm. mile away. Well, I think going back to it, I do think it's also because you're very... You're very, very authentic. I think you think of a lot of like influencers just in general and some people, they might have a large following, but 
it might be harder to get the sense, are they being authentic or not? And I think for you, you know exactly what you're getting into once you tune in in some ways, you know, like, you know, I think that, that is true for, you know, good, good, bad, or ugly, you know, exactly what you're getting when you talk to me, even if you reach out in a DM, you know, somebody, somebody wrote to me last week, and I almost, I almost screenshotted it and put it up. Because I was so annoyed by it. And I was so like, you know what, this is me in a nutshell. And I didn't do it because I wasn't sure if the nutshell sounded so nice in that moment. But, you know, somebody had written to me for whatever reason, I don't understand it. COVID equals tie dye. People are tie dyeing socks. They're tie dyeing sweatshirts, (laughs) t-shirts, nothing. Things that are not nailed down are getting tie dyed. And, you know, there was one company that that reached out and, and sent this adorable, deliciously soft bumblebee yellow tie-dye sweatshirt for me. And I was happy to wear it and promote them. Like, I'm, I'm happy to do that. And then, you know, slipping into my DMs was, the, was this other company that said something to the effect of, uh, we love you. We love your platform. We'd like to send you a package. But before we do that, we want to know that you will put it in your feed and talk about it, you know, for 24 hours on your stories. And I just wrote back like, you have, this is so not how I work. <laughs> Hold on a second. I haven't even seen your shit yet. Uh, sounds like a pretty ridiculous request. I looks like, <laughs> but no, I will not guarantee you. Like that's, I talk about the things that, I love, I talk about the things that I use religiously that my husband now uses religiously. That's how much, you know, we as a family love something. I talk about the things that I personally use and love. You are not going to tell me to stick something in my feed that I have not laid eyes on yet. How many, how many packages do you, do you still get a lot of packages? I get less in COVID, which truth be told is just fine because, you know, it was exciting when that first sort of, you know, wave of, you know, of these UPS boxes, you know, started to sort of march out my door. This is going to sound so obnoxious and I don't mean it to sound this obnoxious. It's tiring and it's a responsibility and I don't necessarily want to try out your organic serum for my elbows I don't like I don't and I don't want to have to show it on camera and thank you for sending the organic serum for my elbows like I can buy my own stuff it's lovely what people think of me and I love promoting and giving a leg up to smaller independent, you know, brands and startup brands, but this sort of, you know, mass push to just be tagged, I can't stand it. So inauthentic looking to me. I cannot stand it. Did you ever get anything where you where you were just like, what the hell? I've received lube. Mm. <laughs> from a brand from a brand wanting to promote 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 it? Yes. Yes. That was a what the hell. There's been a bunch. There's been a few. Did they leave a message or just a bottle of lube? Um, Oh, no. There was a lovely handwritten note (laughs) that I probably didn't want to touch without gloves. But there was a lovely handwritten note. I guess at least they wrote a note, right? (laughs) They had manners. Yes. (laughs) 
very funny. Sorry, you asked. Yeah, well, I was intrigued. I mean, I'm curious. I doubt you follow, but the Barstool president does these unboxing videos. I don't know if you've seen them. So I hear of, this is Dave Portnay. Is yeah. that who that is? I hear about him all the time. I would be lying if I said that I have tuned in in any real way. I have not. That said, the cursory sort of, you know, dip in, dip out that I have witnessed, like, it just doesn't speak to me. I know Mm. there's like rants. Yeah. And there's pizza. Yeah, he does like, he does like pizza reviews. And there's a lot of like blondes with their, with their tits hanging out, right? Mm, oh, oh no. that, that's like no. <laughs> no no that's that's like one of the podcasts that are on there that are like owned by their company oh but, see i don't even know that he has a company yeah he is he is like a big media company David <laughs> i guess he's also just very he just says whatever the fuck he wants like he's he's dave you know exactly what you're getting and people okay. people like that and they like listening to him rant but it's it's ridiculous during quarantine. I guess he gets yeah. a lot of fan mail. It sounds yeah. very similar. Like companies are sending I him. I highly doubt that it's similar. <laughs> it's similar <laughs> in the sense that like companies are sending him packages all the time. So he's like, he yeah. just decided to record his unboxing and he just talks about what he's oh, unboxing okay. and it gets like hundreds of thousands of views. So and it- yeah, I don't want it. I know like that whole unboxing thing is huge. I I'm sort of over it. Mm. I, I, <laughs> Grateful. It isn't that. It's not a state. I remain in a state of gratitude and appreciation, but I won't touch it if it doesn't feel. I, and when I say touch it, I mean I won't touch the camera and I'm not going to go there if there isn't, you know, people will send me something and then two weeks later they're like, did you open it? Did you? No, 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 no. The reason that I do well is because when I go to push something, and I use, you know, quotes around push. When I go to talk about something, it is done in a way where generally speaking, the company that, you know, I'm talking about is absolutely thrilled mm. with the outcome. It's not just some random shot in the background. I won't do that. Yeah. I'll make it, it's going to get my spin. What's next for the Jewel to Be platform? There's a lot of interest in starting a podcast. Mm, you would crush it on a podcast. I don't know that I would. <laughs> I don't know that I would, Danny. Like you're a great, you're a great interviewer. Yeah, but not all, not all podcasts need to be interviews. Like people, I think, just want to tune in and hear you, hear you talk. Like people probably don't want to hear me talk. They just want to listen to you. That's why people no, tune into this episode. You're, you're so good at what you do. I don't know. I have such mixed feelings about it. And I've probably hesitated, you know, too long. I think, you know, there's real danger and hesitation. Mm. But, you know, I'm playing around with it. And the website, you know, continues to deliciously grow. But I definitely think that there is more. You know, I definitely think that there's there's life left. <laughs> there's, <laughs> you know, there's the tap dancing, you know, playbill, handing, hand or outer at 47 years old and it doesn't have to pass over to do it. (laughs) Why do you think hesitation? It's funny hearing you say that, I guess, because just going back to the beginning part of this podcast where you talked about sort of navigating the early days of your career. Yeah. Like it sounds like at that point you were just trying different things. You tried culinary school, then you sort of stumbled into being 
an A-list celebrity assistant. Right. No hesitation. No hesitation. Jump, 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 pivot, go, 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 go. It's, <laughs> it's like ballet class for me. Why the hesitation now? Probably because I'm a little bit older and and have two kids and have a tremendous amount on my plate already. And it's hard for me to fathom that anybody would want to listen and self-doubt creeps in and, you know, that's a destroyer. You know, my instincts are generally pretty good. Mm. You know, I'll never forget sitting in an old girlfriend's apartment. My my husband, Barry, and I had just gotten back from our honeymoon and we went straight from, from JFK to my to the, my very dear girlfriend's apartment who had very graciously been dog sitting for us while we were in Italy for 2 weeks and we walked into their apartment and we were sitting talking to them and in the corner of her living room and I'm not going to name company names because she doesn't own it anymore she sold it for a tremendous amount of money mm. but in the corner of their living room was a pile of a prototype for this creation for her new company. And I knew nothing about this. I knew nothing about the company. I knew nothing about the prototype. She had been, you know, working her ass off full time in her own sort of, you know, you know, where I I had been in the conference, you know, industry, she had her own version of, you know, boredom and, and misery in her day job. And at night, she was creating this baby product. And I didn't have babies at the time. And I took one look at it in the corner of that living room. I will never forget just looking at it and thinking, that is a fucking home run. <laughs> that is a home run. I'm real I'm good, generally speaking. I am really good at spotting sort of home, you know, run ideas. And I don't know that I feel that home run feeling in my gut about a podcast. Not yet. Mm. I think, you know, I need to chew on it a bit and I need to figure out my angle and I need to figure out what's missing in that space or what people would want to hear. And at the same time, you know, you and I both know that you can't overthink it. You've got to jump and the net will appear. Yeah. I mean, I'm smiling ear to ear on the other side. I'm like, you are the thing that's different. You just you just should start your own show. That's my that's my <laughs> take. I'll disagree with you on that. I think you'd have so many people tuning in. Danny, I couldn't figure out the app to get on to talk to you. <laughs> you just need you a good you need ready for a podcast. You need a good assistant to set that up. But uh once you have that, you just need a microphone and uh the audience will be there. I have no doubt. <laughs> um, Very sweet. Of you're you. also going to leave uh, any, everyone who listens to this thinking, what was the product? You're going to leave them uh, guessing. <laughs> I know. I know. And it was a dance. I mean, it's still, it, it remains, it's, it's out there, but it's, it's, you know, again, she sold it. Um, and then she was, and then she was pushed out. She remained CEO and then she was pushed out and it, it did not end well, mm. but, it changed, it changed the baby, you know, the, 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 the business, the industry. <laughs> yes, a little bit. <laughs> okay, we can, we can start to wrap up the show. You know, my podcast is all about facing adversity and building your dream life. With that being said, what would be yeah. your bits of gold on how to build a life you love? Oh, you know, I think that, you know, I had a mom who I was very close to 
but who was really desperately unhappy in her adult life. She was desperately unhappy in her marriage. She was not physically well. She was always searching. She she was not a wallower. She was a real warrior, but she she was very unhappy and I never I never wanted to be that woman. You know, there's a lot of stuff in life that we don't have control over. We don't have control over a diagnosis. Sure, we can tweak our diet, you can exercise, you can you can, you know, you can put yourself on a path to wellness. But I think that there is a lot of stuff that we do have control over that you can grab and choose to make decisions around, you know, the things that you do have control over. I don't know if that makes sense. You know, I'm sure, and it it pains me to say that, but I I wanted to be my mom in some ways, but I really like, I, I wanted a very different life. Mm. And I think I've just never felt that, that settling is the answer. It doesn't mean you give up easily. Marriage is hard. Kids are hard. Work is hard. All of the things that are worth something are, are hard. But yeah, I, I just wanted to make, I wanted to have a very different kind of life. And I wanted to have a life where there was a tremendous amount of laughter in my house with my kids. I really wanted to have like fun with my kids and not take everything so fucking seriously. I have a girlfriend, a very dear girlfriend, who said to me probably about a year ago when this Instagram thing really started to take off. And she said to me on the phone one day, funny stuff doesn't happen to me like it happens to you. And I said to her, that's such bullshit. You're not seeing the humor in what's, in what's happening in that moment. <laughs> of course, funny stuff is happening to you. You're just not, you, you're not funny. <laughs> you don't have a sense of humor. Uh, so that's kind of, you know, plenty of adversity. Um, there's a tremendous amount of pain that life can dole out. And I try to find the funny. Mm. I love that. Well, what an awesome way to end the show. Where can our audience and our listeners get a hold of you, find you, send you fan mail? Because I know you want a lot more oh, of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's tons of fan mail. You can find me at Jewel the Bee on Instagram. And if you, you know, sort of want to dive into my soul and look at a recipe or read an intimate letter that a reader has has written in and my answer to that intimate letter you can find me at jewelthebee.com amazing well thanks so much this was awesome and i can't wait for this episode to inspire our listeners and oh i hope so (laughs) (laughs) thank you absolutely thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the bits of gold podcast with the one and only jewel the bee if you have not yet please make sure to go and follow Jewel to be on Instagram. Her content is amazing. It's authentic and you will love it. I can promise you that. If you have not yet done so, please take a moment to share this episode with a friend. Subscribe to the Bits of Gold podcast and tag us on your Instagram stories if you found this episode valuable, inspiring, hilarious. You can tag us at Bits of Gold underscore podcast. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at.
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.